Hi, welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Steph Bullen from Dairy Australia's Animal Health and Fertility team. I'm sitting in the host chair today while Ruru McDonald is away on holidays. Automated heat detection technology has been moving forward in leaps and bounds over recent years. Many farmers are now starting to consider installing this technology, so we thought we'd talk to an expert about what you need to consider. With COVID lockdowns once again upon us, I recorded this podcast on Zoom with Queensland-based vet Dr Carl Hockey recently. Carl's the Managing Director of Rural Vet and he services dairy farms across much of the subtropical region. He's extremely knowledgeable about reproduction and heat detection. So if you're looking to improve labour efficiency or reproductive performance on your farm, then this is half an hour that you can't afford to miss. Hi, Carl. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Steph. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Great. So, Carl, we're here today to talk about uh, automated heat detection, which is obviously a topic of uh, increasing importance to dairy farmers. We know that there's um, increasing challenges around labour, but also in some states there's some incentives for investing in, in new technologies on farm. Carl, can you start by telling us um, what exactly is automated heat detection? Automated heat detection, um, well, I guess probably the terminology itself is a bit mis misleading. Nothing's completely automated, but it usually just refers to technology that can help identify when cows are at an appropriate time to be inseminated, um, where we're likely to get them pregnant. Yeah, okay. And what exactly is the technology, Carl, for people that have never, you know, never seen anything to do with automated heat detection? What exactly is the technology doing? What is it? Yeah, so essentially we add, uh, we're trying to identify the changes in cows' behaviour using sensors and detect those changes that occur across, um, you know, a cow has a heat roughly every 21 days and at that time she there's a whole lot of changes that take place. So there's technologies detect different changes, but anything that detects changes that relate to cow cycles, which can be changes in uh, her how much she moves she's you know cows get restless they butt each other they jump each other um, there's all sorts of physiological changes that take place and most of our technology now hasn't used that but there has been approaches looking at um, physiological changes in cows so anything that um, has a cyclic pattern relating to the cows um, uh, reproductive cycle and could give some indication that she's about to ovulate and we should inseminate her um, and mostly we're using activity sensors. So the exact same things you might have had in your, um, just about every smartphone has uh, an a, a accelerometer in it, which is a fancy thing that just detects movement. Um, and um, uh, we've got watches these days that have them in them, all sorts of sensors um, in our lives. Uh, the exact same things we're using on cows to tell um, changes in their behaviour that relate to heat. Yeah, okay. And Carl, some of like obviously, um, so we talked about accelerometers being, you know, and essentially a tool in which we monitor sort of how active a cow is. How do we actually, how is that technology, you know, cows obviously aren't going to be carrying around a smartphone with them or a watch. Um, what, what, yep. like, how do we actually fix these devices to cows? Yeah, that's great. So there's a few different, um, uh, things around at, at the present time. One is uh, collars on a cow that then have a uh, device attached to that collar. Um, sometimes they'll have a weight on that collar to keep the collar in the right position and they'll have the sensor technology and the, and the transmitting um, uh, technology all in one little box on that collar uh, and the other ones on ear tags. So now there's some devices that are themselves 
um, attached as an ear tag or they're a device that goes over current ear tag. So it might attach onto the NILS tag, for example. Um, they're the two main ones. Um, the leg devices also have been, um, sorry, a major one as well too, but probably um, I haven't seen them as popular uh, these days. They had been for a while, but um, of course, a, a, a band on a cow's leg, if she's walking around in mud, um, can become, yeah, problematic over time. So perhaps people have moved away from them for some reasons, but uh, the neck and ears seem to be the most common I see around. Yeah, and I suppose that's a great lead into my next question, Carl. Um, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, you know, if we if we wanted to, um, or we were thinking about putting this technology on a farm, what are probably some of the key questions that we would want to ask ourselves before kind of looking into this further? Why, why would a farmer want to put automated heat detection on their farm? I guess in first in any any um, new investment, you need to look at. Um, is this the next investment that's helpful to me? Um, and this, um, I, having been involved in this, I know um, heat detection, uh, automated heat detection devices do work. They do give a return on investment, all those sorts of things. But is it your next investment that you need? You need only you know um, where if you put another dollar, how that compares. But for a given farm, if you you start thinking, well, hey, this could be my a next place to put a dollar on my farm, um, then, you, then you're gonna ask, well, which, which product do I go with? Um, and um, uh, well, or will it give a return for me? So to begin with, well, this technology just helps you identify cows that are on heat. So if, you, um, if you're already doing a good job of that, then this may not give you um, a return by improving your fertility but it might give you a return by helping you achieve those same outcomes um, in a different way by less labor or um, allowing you um, the luxury of not having to to do the use the labor that you were doing um, if you do have an issue with fertility and that is driven by uh, a lack of submission submission of cows or identifying cows on heat then this could help improve your fertility but if that fertility issue isn't driven by that if there's underlying issues such as that your cows are not cycling at all or um, they're not transitioning well or um, other you know fertility um, drivers of fertility then this may not give you the return you're hoping for so I guess first we need to identify is um, um, is either do I want to substitute the performance I'm getting through another way or means or do I want to improve my current performance will this actually achieve that you might be worth making sure you talk to a, um, a fertility advisor someone who's got data on your herd or if you're good at your own data look through and, and get a bit of an understanding of what's driving your current fertility um, so that's first just to see whether whether this thing's going to be useful for you and then yeah the next one is what what product should I get um, and the, the good thing is, so in the past, I would have probably started going into looking at the technology involved, but um, just about everything on the market now has got adopted pretty much the same relative technology. They're just about all using um, uh, what I call XYZ accelerometers or three-dimensional um, movement detection. So then they, uh, in the past, you know, we had uh, simple like a, a 
a mercury switch or a little ball um, in a cylinder, just going tick tock back and forth and counting how many steps a cow's moved. Now we're actually identifying every movement of a cow in each direction and, and with what force, which just sort of blows your mind. It just takes the amount of data um, out of proportions. And we used to struggle with getting that information from the, the sensor. You know, it used to be maybe once uh, um, every time the cow comes into the parlour, so maybe twice a day. Now that trans that data is getting transmitted every 15 minutes or, or thereabouts uh, through um, remote um, transfer of data, and that's sent to your smartphone wherever you are in the world. So um, you can easily have this information in virtually real time or just shortly delayed real time. So... Um, yeah, you know, I, I would have first talked about well, what sort of sensors are they using? How are they transferring that data? But now that's pretty much um, all the same. Um, it kind of then moves into what are they doing with that data? How are they presenting it to you? Um, is it in a useful format um, that's user friendly to you? Um, does it um, fit with how you're going to use it? Because um, at the end of the day, these are just a tool. And, um, you know, hammer won't build a house, but it's sure a whole lot easier to build a house if you have a hammer. So this tool needs to be put to good use and, and have a plan how you're going to use it. Um, and it's going to differ from farm to farm, depending on the other technologies you already have. Um, you really need to look into integration. Um, is it going to communicate with the other software you're using or other hardware devices, your drafting gate? technology can it be set up automatically to draft animals will you have to do that manually is there double entry there's a lot of double entry has been involved in this technology in the past because the so what do you mean by double entry carl yeah great um so that meaning that you might have to use one program to to look at these cows activities and another program to that you already use to manage your herd um, so, um, herd management software so uh, that could be whether it's uh, dairy data or easy dairy or whatever um, different products are on the market um, you might be using a standalone heat detection device and those two things don't talk to each other um, gotcha. and if they're not talking to each other you might have to record that you inseminated a cow in one platform and then record that you inseminated a cow on another platform and looking up cow's histories for inseminations then ends up becoming like, well, did I enter it here or did I enter it there? And uh, uh, so, yeah, that, that's where things can become problematic. Um, okay. So, Carl, can I just try and I, I just want to kind of summarise what you've spoken about. So, you know, we talked about, um, you know, that the most common technologies these days are sort of the ear tags and the collars, um, but there are sort of others um, that are perhaps less popular these days. Um, but when you're thinking about the technology, it's really about how user-friendly it is for you on your farm, whether the data is useful for you on your farm and whether it talks to existing software or infrastructure that you've got on farm. So whether that's your herd recording software where you're sort of entering your mating information and heat information, um, but also things like your drafting gates, et cetera. Have I, have I summarised? that reasonably yeah excellent yeah absolutely so because there's nothing more painful it's hard enough to enter the data once let alone have to do it twice um and as much as possible like um there is um if you have the the right technology communicating then you don't even need to decide or look at these things cows could be just drafted for you 
when required based on a set of rules that you pre-create. Yeah, whereas if you have to every day keep looking at it, that's still great and still very useful because it might be improving your detection rate of, of cows that are on heat, but it's still another job and it might be quick, but it's still a job and you have to log into your phone, find the cow, tell her to draft in another system or identify her yourself in the parlour. You know, there's every step you have involved is one more step of um, work to do that if it can be avoided, why not? Um, Absolutely, yeah. So, Carl, um, one of the things that I'd like to sort of um, pick your brains about a little bit, you talked about how some of the older technology sort of downloaded the information when the cow came to the dairy, um, and you said that nowadays it's sort of almost a constant feed of data. How does that actually happen, and what are sort of the considerations in terms of infrastructure? So if you're putting um, heat detection technologies in, presumably you're going to need, um, you know, data receptors around the farm. Uh, like, how does this? how does that actually work? Yeah, good, good point. So um, most of them are, are some sort of RF signal now that is a long range. So they will have, you'll have an antenna on the dairy and and you might have a couple pointing in different directions. And most of those ones will get up to, up to about a kilometre, maybe in really good flat areas, maybe longer. So, um, but at least at worst case, you're going to go to your near paddocks and get that information um, as the cows are coming to the dairy, at least, as opposed to in the past, you'd have to wait till every cow's gone through the actual parlour itself to um, to download the data. So at worst case, you're getting information as they're coming into the, um, the into the holding areas. Um, and then if, if you wish to, you might put repeater stations out on your property. So you could have several um, um, antennas, um, in different paddocks just to extend your range and they might communicate back to your the dairy parlour. And uh, presumably that's more important in a hilly farm, Carl, perhaps where you've got gullies and things like that. Would would you then yeah. need to kind of invest in more of that kind of data collection infrastructure to make sure you're actually getting the, the feedback? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, whichever, you know, hopefully uh, whoever you go with to, to, to get advice or quotes on these things is going to be able to give you some um, good open honest um, uh, idea on what the likely performance is or even be able to come out and try and test your place and see where where you will get information um, because one of the great advantages of this sort of long range and and uh, real-time data transfer has meant that we can even use this to do things like detect when cows are calving um, we can use it in heifers who don't come into the dairy. So if you're wanting to, to um, detect heifers on heat, uh, we couldn't do that before um, without somehow bringing them through someplace on a daily basis. So it really like between the, the sensors used and the data transfer methods, um, the options have really advanced. Um, and along with that sort of distant data transfer and, and these sensors. And so now a lot of these are able to detect things like rumination and they, that's related between rumination and the lying and standing time um, and other sort of characteristics of behaviour, they're able to give you an indication of the health of the cow and identify you know, if, if, if a cow's sick, she st her rumination decreases. Um, she lies around more or something or this sort of thing. So um, there's a lot of health alerts that can be part of these. And 
you'll want to consider that because a lot of people will sell that as different packages. So even though the technology of the sensor they sell you um, can do all this, they will charge you different level fees depending on whether you want the health package or just the reproduction package. And um, I've got varying um, levels of feedback from people where, yes, it's great, fantastic, or it's just too many alerts and, um, you know, they, they haven't taken the time perhaps to get the sensitivity of that right because those sorts of things can drive you mad if every cow's alerting and the boy who cried wolf sort of situation where eventually you just ignore it. So, Carl, that's probably a really good question. Um, you know, if we come back to we're, we're sort of talking about health alerts and things like that as kind of um, additional things that you can utilise this technology for. But if we think about just heat detection on its own, how accurate is this technology? How, how many times are you going to pick up a cow that's on heat and how many times might you miss one um, relative to perhaps, you know, your standard heat detection where you might use tail paint and, paint and paddock observation? Yeah, that's that's excellent question. So um, when I um, did my PhD on this, uh, the the actual technology I I used was actually sort of one step, but it, it was ahead of what had been at the time, but it's a bit one behind of what's being used now. So I actually believe things could only be better than this data, but I haven't seen any any more recent um, accuracy on it. But we found about out of, you know, if if there were 10 cows that were on heat, we, we identified nine of them um, correctly. And then on the flip side of that, for every 10 cows that it told you were on heat, probably about eight uh, to nine of those truly were on heat. So some of them were, were false alerts. Um, so that gives you a bit of a rough idea. And if you compare that to any studies on on just heat detection on average on herds, it ranges anywhere, say, from 50 to 80%, um, depending on how good you were with um, and how diligent and time you spent. So probably really at the top end of watching cows re really thoroughly, the best herds might um, be lucky to get 80% from visual heat detection, but more often we're probably down in the 50 and 60%. So it definitely um, performs as well or better than than just um, observing cows on heat. Um, but um, there, there's definitely the, the false positive thing where there's a few cows that it brings in that aren't on heat. And what we found with that, and there's plenty of studies that back it up, is that if you get good at identifying um, what signs um, uh, confirm that a cow's on heat, then quite often you could pick out those, those say two out of 10 that weren't on heat. So it'll bring them in and then you'll ignore them because you say, well, no, she's actually not really on heat um, for whatever reason. You what might be some examples, Carl? Like, are you talking about having tail paint or, or um, heat, you know, scratchies in addition to, or or just visual observation on the cows? Like, what are some examples that farmers might use to kind of, you know, assess yeah. The, yeah. those cows? The, the sim simplest one is just looking at its history. It may have had a very strong true heat that you were confident on um, in uh, several days ago, for example. So it's very unlike. And then when you look at the actual activity on this cow, um, she only just triggered an alert. So the, so technically, according to the algorithm, she was on heat. But even when you visually identify the, the graph that this sensor's detecting, you can clearly see it's just not as strong or, or the time interval was different. Um, but the other side is on the cows. You, you know, 
her cervix was closed. She's not, she's not got any rub marks on her. Um, there's no hair ruffled on her. There's no um, mucus hanging out her vagina. Um, when you, you do go to AI, which is usually too late, but you can pretty much tell then her cervix wasn't open. Um, the um, uterus wasn't firm. Those sorts of things can usually identify that the cow wasn't on heat or or vice versa, you can confirm a cow is truly on heat when you see those other sort of secondary signs. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So that's, I think that's great, Carl, you know, that they're as good, if not better. Um, and as you said, your PhD was a little while ago, so technology sort of always improving, but um, the technology is as good, if not better than, than people currently. Um, and particularly, definitely on farms where heat detection efficiency was poor, um, they're definitely better than people. So that's, um, that's really encouraging. So um, Carl, how, how much would it set someone back like we were talking about us and I know it's really variable or I suppose maybe we might start by what what are the things that um influence the cost the greatest in terms of setting up these systems on farm uh well the biggest cost is is the per animal devices so and they'll they range in the order of say 150 bucks to 200 bucks a device um yeah, yeah sometimes the ear ones seem to be a little bit cheaper as a per device cost um uh, against but yeah, then you sort of want to look at um, the robustness and how how many years you're likely to get out of them and that that sort of thing. So, um, but the actual setup costs and time has just got easier and easier. It's there's not a lot like as you need a computer um, usually um, that's dedicated. Um, it can be used for other things, but that computer has to be made continually available. Um, some of the technologies don't go through a computer. They literally go straight from a receiver through cellular data, but then you'd need to be in range of cellular data. Um, so so that's on your phone? Yeah, exactly, through a phone, so through a phone network. So if, you're, if your main receiving area isn't in mobile reception, then obviously you wouldn't go with those types of technologies. But if it is, you could use that and it doesn't even go to a computer, it goes to the cloud. So some of them are 100% cloud-based um, and then that comes back to any device through the cloud. Um, so those who are not familiar, the cloud just meaning the internet, basically the, the information's going up somewhere into the sky and magically coming back to any device, a computer or, or your phone connected to the internet. Whereas some things need to go to a dedicated um, computer that has software on it to act as sort of the central part of the information um, management of this program. And then that goes via the internet, possibly to your phone and, and whether it uses cloud or other means, whether some, some systems might still just be using team viewers and stuff like that, where you're not um, truly cloud-based, but you're using the internet to access your computer remotely or something like that. So, um, but cost-wise, you you probably, there might be five grand's worth of sort of fixed costs, five to 10 grand, independent between antennas, computers, and, and uh, like a, a mothership, so to speak, some sort of base station, and then a per cow cost of yep. the net collars. And that's in the 150, 200, range since um these things will get outdated pretty quickly so i could be completely out but i think i'll be roughly in the ballpark with that for a while steph 
So in terms of the rumination and health alert stuff that we spoke about, Carl, um, you know, we talked about kind of the accuracy of the heat detection component. Um, you said that they're variable in terms of the accuracy um, of the other alerts and particularly how they can kind of, the alerts can drive you nuts. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about those other considerations um, if you're thinking of kind of putting on the add-ons onto your program? Yeah. Well, I, it, that'll totally come back to you. Um, you know, the settings you're, you're using it for and what you're trying to achieve with it. So um, the sensors are detecting what they're detecting accurately. Um, it, it really comes to um, yeah, what, what you plan to do with that. Like, for example, some of the um, products I look at uh, will assess groups of animals against whole groups of animals or you enter paddock changes. So there will be some, um, how, uh, you know, a a rumination factor, you know, a combination of rumination, cow activities, their lying time, et cetera, or eating time um, in some sort of factor score. And as you move a cow, uh, groups of cows from one paddock to the other, it says, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, there's more activity going on or there's less activity going on. And that can help you alert that nutritionally you need to, to do something, you know, or um, somehow the cows have crashed. Like you've moved them from one paddock to the other and now nobody's eating. Um, what's gone wrong? Maybe they all got acidosis or they also, um, down to that, it could be at an individual cow level and her, her rumination has stopped and, um, well, it doesn't stop, it, it's reduced dramatically. Um, so how dramatic a reduction in rumination do you care about? Um, you can change these limits on most devices it's not just a fixed thing um, but it may not be a user-friendly change you might need to work with somebody to help you make those changes or it might be something you can change but you just got to be taught where in the system you, you change those levels so and you need to be patient over time to keep adjusting them observing cows get to a point where you're happy with it so i don't think there's so much to worry about um you know is this um What's, what's the accuracy of it or the sensitivity of it in, um, for, from an academic point of view, it really comes back to, is it practical and helpful to you? Because um, data is, uh, is just data until it's become information and information is just that until it's acted upon. And if it's not acted upon, it's just interesting. <laughs> it's not actually anything more. So we need, it needs to flow through to, actions and outcomes um, and the health is probably a little yeah it's clear a cow's on heat action should be we got to inseminate her the question might be when should we inseminate her and there's that's one thing we didn't really touch on is activity meters are really good and that was what part of my phd at actually um, predicting the, the likely time of when the cow will actually ovulate so we're now pinpointing um, the actual time of heat better now um, yeah, but when it comes to the the health thing, it's not as clear, what should I do now? Okay, so cow's alerted, but is she truly sick? What is her sickness? Do I need to do something? Or is a cow on heat? Yes, I need to inseminate. Um, so yeah, those areas, I think there's gonna be huge um, opportunities for more development. And it's not so much gonna be in the sensor and the trans data transfer, it's gonna be our interpretation of data, how we use that data um, and that, needs heaps more research and um, heaps more um, uh, playing around. But I, I think there's, there's endless opportunities there.
Absolutely. And it sounds like, Carl, what you're saying is that, you know, the the technology between different systems and different brands is, is not vastly different. Um, obviously, you know, how user-friendly it is is going to be important, but it sounds like kind of that after-sale, after-service um, support is going to be really important just for adjusting the system and making sure that you're getting it kind of really working for you um, in a way that's not driving you nuts with heaps of um, alerts. But also, um, I, I don't know whether you can comment on it, but also, you know, some sort of support around, okay, well, you know, what, like interpretation of this data and what decisions do I actually make based on, um, you know, based on what the the technology is telling me? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think um, that definitely there's not, I, I don't believe there's going to be major differences in the potential um, improvement in performance that you'll see in your herd between one device or the other, like saying, oh, go with this company because your, your heat detection percentage will be bigger or this one. You're absolutely right. It's going to come back to that um, relationship that you have with them and also what other integration you've got. So my advice would be if there's a range of products you are made aware of, um, investigate the ones that if you're buying semen from that company and they have a, a device and you've been using them for years to, you know, genetically assess your cows and they come and give you help each year and you have a close relationship and they're the people that are going to help you. Well, I'd, I'd add a little bit more weighting to that. Or if um, there's a company that um, has been um, uh, supporting you in, in your, um, they set up your um, cow management software and your, your, your dairy um, your drafting gates and your, your milk machine um, meters or whatever, and it's going to communicate with that. And you've got a guy on farm who does your, you know, fixes your draft gate when it stops working, and he can talk to you about this. I'd add some weight to that company, you know. So it's going to be where you're getting some really good. You you, you know that they're not going to drop the ball. They're not going to sell and run on you. Um, that and and they're going to be able to integrate it and give you support that's where I'm going to put the extra weight on uh, what technology you should go with. And that's going to be different for every farm. So that's the good thing. It's not going to be that just one brand actually wins on every farm when it comes to that. Yeah, awesome. So, Carl, just probably one of the, I suppose, final things that I'm wondering, are there any farms where this technology won't work? You know, you talked about having phone reception and, and internet access. Like, is that is that almost a deal breaker for adoption of this technology or could, could you apply it on just about any dairy farm? You, you could use it even if you don't have that. But um, some, there are a couple of brands that perhaps you wouldn't, um, that do rely on that in their their whole system so they might that might limit you on some of them but there would um, there is enough systems that are completely standalone um, and it would maybe limit your interface with it but it's not going to stop it from being able to help you find cows on heat and inseminate them so yeah I don't think there's anybody that would be excluded and you, whether you have um one of the studies I did was comparing um, cows in TMR herds, so total mixed ration just in a loafing paddock, in the same paddock every day, versus um, cows that are grazing and walking several kilometres. And these things are still equally as good. So there's no issue whether you have housed cattle. Um, we've got compost barn herds now. We've got grazing herds. We've got TMR herds. Australia has every type under the sun, um, I don't think that's going to limit you. 
So look, I reckon this has been a, a really fantastic, um, I guess, introductory kind of podcast on on automated heat dete detection technologies, Carl. And I think you've provided some really good practical advice around, you know, um, assessing, I suppose, assessing, you know, uh, what, what you want to get out of it. So is it, you know, maintaining your current reproductive performance, but, you know, minimising perhaps that labour input, or is it actually improving your reproductive performance and making sure that heat detection's the problem, um, if that's what you're looking to do? Um, you know, using a, a, when you're picking a technology, picking a technology that works for you, um, you know, that provides you the data that you need um, and, and talks to your existing software um, or hardware on farm, you know, drafting gates, et cetera. And then also, um, you know, having a, working with a company where you've got a good relationship and you've got confidence that they'll be able to support you sort of particularly in that kind of post instalment phase where you're going to be needing to do some adjustments to, to algorithms and things like that to make sure that, um, yeah, to make sure that it's it's really working for you. So um, some great tips there, Carl. We also talked about the cost um, of setting up the systems um, and, you know, essentially that it's not really limited. You can, there's, there's pretty much a system for any farm anywhere in Australia. So that's awesome. Were there any kind of final comments, Carl? Have I have I summarised that fairly? Was there, there any other advice, I suppose, parting words of wisdom that you would want to give to farmers that are starting to, to think about putting in some of this technology on farms? No, I think you've summarised it brilliantly, Stephanie. That, um, that that's a great summary of it, and uh, yeah, it's an exciting opportunity to to get into. And um, uh, but none on its own, it's still just a tool, and um, needs to be part of a bigger, um, broad approach to to fertility in your herd. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that those comments that you made around um, data being just that until um, until you actually utilise it to make decisions, I think is probably a, a really um, important point too. So, um, look, Carl, you've got a, a wealth of expertise on on the subject, and um, certainly we were we were super pleased to have you um, make yourself available for the podcast. So, so thank you for the research that you've done and and uh, and keeping on top of this technology and and being able to share some of that knowledge with the farmers via the dairy pod. So, thanks so much, Carl. No, thanks, Stephanie, and thanks, Dairy Australia, for giving me that opportunity. Thanks so much to Carl for sharing his knowledge and experience with us. This technology really is pretty amazing in terms of what it can do and how it works. If you'd like to learn more about fertility or heat detection, head on over to dairyaustralia.com.au where there's loads of in-calf resources available for you to download. That's it for this episode of Dairy Pod. However, we'd love to hear any suggestions you might have on podcast topics. Please feel free to drop us a line at dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.